Hello and welcome to Come Follow Up. I'm Barbara Morgan Gardner. And I'm Daniel Becerra. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. This week, we've studied 3 Nephi, chapter 17. Let's start with a short review. First, after spending time with the people in the Americas, Christ recognizes and perceives that they do not understand all the things that he has taught them. He perceives that they are weak, so he sends them home to ponder and ask God to prepare themselves for the next day when he will come again. He understands and feels compassion for them. He feels sorrow for the way that they've been feeling. He's moved to heal them and to help them. He asks for them to bring their sick and he heals them. He also invites and has angels come who minister to the children. The entire group together feel the joy of Jesus Christ. One of the things I really like about this scripture block is it gives us a sense for what kind of person the Savior is, and by extension, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But before we get into our discussion, we want to get to know you a little bit more. So who do we have in the audience? Where are you from? I'm originally from Denmark. Oh, uh -huh, cool. How do you say Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints in Danish? Jesu Christi Kirke as Siste Dais Helie. Cool. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank anybody, you. Anybody speak a cooler language than that? <laughs> no? yeah. I saw your hand raised back there. Where are you from? Texas. Texas. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't say that your language was better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Doesn't everybody in Texas? Or your state, yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of get into it. What kind of things jumped out to you uh, in the verses? What did you see as kind of the main message or what message did you take away from it personally? I think that in these scriptures, we're able to really see Christ's personality mm -hmm. and that he um, shows so much tenderness to the people that he's ministering to and that the people can feel it and that's why they don't want him to leave. I just love how he's always taking his time. They ask him to stay and he stays and then talks to them one-on-one, -on -one, gives them a blessing. He's still the same today. Even in heaven, like they're hearing our prayers, like mm -hmm. Heavenly Father and Christ are both hearing our prayers. Mm -hmm. They're responding to us. And I think that's amazing is that he took his time on earth and he's still taking his time now. I believe that there was 2,500 people and he blessed every single one of them and if he just gave one minute to each person, it would have been over about 41 hours. Wow. And that just tells me how important we are and, and little insignificant me matters. Thank you so much for your thoughts and insights and comments, especially about uh, the character of the Savior and his compassion, his taking time for people, and really the joy that can bring to our lives. And these are things that we want to talk about today as well. Yeah, and we have actually invited a wonderful guest today who has written extensively on this topic and frankly, who is a great example of one. We would like to invite Virginia Pierce Cowley to the stage. We're, we're very fortunate to have you with us. Thank you, Virginia. It's good to see you, Barbara and Daniel. And I'm happy to be with all of you. This will be a, a great time. Virginia has been a counselor in the General Young Women's Presidency. You've written a number of books exploring topics of joy and faith, and I'm gonna include compassion as well in that. You're also serving currently as a member of the board of Deseret Book. You are a social worker and have been by profession, and you are the daughter of President and Sister Hinckley. She's making me look way better than I am. <laughs> no, from personal experience, I'm making her look not even as great as she is. But, but we really do appreciate you being here, especially on this topic as we're studying 3 Nephi chapter 17. So oh, thank you. Absolutely. Such a good chapter. Who wouldn't want to do this? Yeah. 
So Virginia, we're gonna be in 3rd Nephi 17 and we're gonna talk about some of these Christ-like attributes and a couple of the things that really stood out to us is Christ's compassion and also his joy. One of the questions I like to take to the scriptures is what does it look like to be a good person? What do good people look like? And of course I don't mean physical appearance. What I mean is what do good people do? What do they say? What do they think? What do they feel? What do they desire? What motivates their actions? And one of the reasons I like 3rd Nephi 17 is because Mormon really gives us a sense for Christ's nature. He talks about his feelings, his desires, his motivations. Um, and we see that specifically in verses six and seven. So reading that, what seems to be informing uh, Christ's uh, service there? And I'll give you a big red hint up here on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you and your red pencil. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, is it a uh, compassion? Yeah. Oh, good good job. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So compassion. So we get a sense for what uh, his motivations are. And if you were to look through each time Christ heals somebody in the New Testament or each time he uh, performs a miracle to feed people, uh, oftentimes you'll see in these verses that Christ is reaching out because he feels compassion for the people. Now, this stands out to me personally because if I'm being perfectly candid, compassion is not typically my primary motivation for doing good. Um, if I were to draw a um, kind of diagram or hierarchy of, of motivations for doing good, it would look something like this. And you'll forgive me, I have horrible penmanship. Uh, my mom used to make me sit at my kitchen table all, every day after school practicing and it didn't do... Triangles. Yeah, and then we all switched <laughs> to computers and it was a waste of time. Okay, anyways, compassion. All right, so at the bottom would be fear, which is to say I do good because I don't want to get punished for not doing good, okay? Not necessarily a bad thing, but also not ideal. I think we could all agree on that. Uh, above that would be duty, which is to say I do good because I feel like it's just something we should do. Um, above that would be reward. I do good because I want to be blessed by God. Again, not a bad thing, but also not ideal. Um, at the top of the hierarchy, I think would be love, or compassion, which is to say, you do good because it's a natural expression of who you are. It's a natural expression of your Christ-like character. And I think this is where Christ wants us to be. You know, one of the things that I remember President Hinckley saying years ago is we need to not love more, we need to love better. We've talked about this great compassion that Jesus Christ has and this idea of loving better, but how do you gain that love? How do you gain that kind of compassion that Jesus Christ has? I think in a really practical way, I mean, you're praying for it. You pray with all the energy of your heart and you believe that he can bestow charity on you. But I believe we spend so much of our time with other people that we're talking to them, but we're really talking to a mirror. We're really thinking about what we're going to say next if they're talking. We're really hoping that we're saying something great. We're, it's all about us. If I think of myself as talking through a frame, an empty frame to somebody, that helps me. If I say my whole job with this person isn't to think what I'm going to say next, it's to try to focus on them, hear what they're saying, know their story. I think there is no one you can't love if you know their story. I really believe that. And I think that is the secret of the Savior. His work and His glory are to bring to pass our... He, he is thinking about us. He is not thinking about Himself when He sees His people. He is looking at them and He perceives what they want and what they need. And to me, that is just a quick shortcut to compassion if I look at people through a frame instead of with a mirror in front of me. 
Maybe that's a big lecture. No, that's great. Thank you for that. Excellent. I actually found a quote from C.S. Lewis. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. So this idea that the compassion, cultivating Christ-like attributes is a skill like any other skill. It's something that takes practice. One thing I would add to this, and I think C.S. Lewis would agree, is we also don't have to do it all by ourselves. We can rely on the grace of Christ uh, to empower us to be something more than we could be through our own uh, agency. I think that a vital part of um, gaining this compassion for people is to gain patience and being forgiving. It's really hard to have that compassion towards people when you still harbor bad feelings or animosity towards them. Yeah, thank you. For me, sometimes it gets a little abstract to think about Christ and our Heavenly Father because I can't remember them. We have ideas of what Christ looks like, but mm -hmm. having someone reach out to me as they were the hands of Christ, mm -hmm. that to me helps me feel Christ a lot. Mm -hmm. Excellent, thank you for that. So Christ, you'll remember in this scene in, in 3 Nephi 17, um, he goes and he says, I'm filled with compassion. He reaches out. Is there any sick, um, mute, uh, lame, etc.?" And we read in Alma that part of what enables Christ to succor us in the way that we need to be succored is his experience of suffering. So Alma 7, 11 through 20, we see here that there's a causal relationship, which is to say Jesus' experience with pains and afflictions and temptations and suffering and infirmities he experienced this so that, quote, he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people. So there's a sense in which our own afflictions and, and sufferings can be consecrated towards the good of others. One of the things, though, that I sometimes have difficulty with is that if somebody thinks they are suffering what I'm suffering, all of us, no matter if the circumstances are just the same, yeah. suffer differently. And I, if I have a child who dies and somebody comes to me and says, oh, I had a child who dies and I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah. They don't. They no. don't. They know that I'm suffering and they've suffered. But I don't want them to negate my personal experience, which is always going to be unique. Right. The Savior knows that. Mm -hmm. But we can't ever take it for granted. But if we were willing to sit and suffer with them, not, not negate their suffering by saying, I know what you're doing. Right. If we're willing to suffer with them, I think, I think that's a way of participating in the atonement. Yeah. So what can you say, Virginia? Because that's something I think we try to help people, and that's a common phrase that you hear people, what can you say? Oh, I think you sit with people, and I think that's what is so difficult. Yeah. yeah. You can't fix it, but you can sit with them and say, I love you, I care about you, and I know you must be in great pain. Just sit, I'll sit with you. Just be present with them, right? Yeah, I think, that's, our... I think that's all you have to do. Yeah, interestingly, in this, in this chapter, we aren't hearing a lot of Christ talking no. to people and trying to fix their problems. No, when those, when those angels come down to minister, we don't hear them saying, you'll be better soon. You, you just hear them with light feeling that light and love. So I think if we sit next to someone and we're full of light and mm -hmm. we're full of love, that's huge. I yeah. think we're ministering. Absolutely. I mean, this is part of our baptismal covenant, right? It's to mourn right. with those who mourn. It's, yeah. Our role is not to make people feel better. Yeah. It's to have a, such a relationship with them that we feel their sorrows, that we can sit there with them, we can be present for yeah. them, even if all we can offer is company. Yeah. 
Like we just be with them in it's that huge. moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking about an experience I had when I was a senior in high school, and my family was going through a pretty private trial that was really difficult. But I had a young women's leader who did what Virginia said. She came and mourned with me. And what was really interesting was we didn't tell her that we were going through this trial, but she had been in tune with the Spirit, and she'd been praying about all of her young women, but especially me, and she felt prompted to come and talk to me. And that's when I felt safe enough to tell her, like, this is what my family's going through. It's really difficult. And she didn't know how to describe, like, my feelings, but she's like, you know what? I'm sorry. This is sad. And she just sat with me as I cried, and that, to me, did so much more than anyone else could have done. And it gave me time to almost heal myself so I could help my family as well. Thank you. You know, Elder Bednar has a great talk where he invites the members of the church to pray for the gift of discernment. And I think that that's one of the things here, as Virginia was was mentioning, that that we as, as mortals don't know everything that's happening in everybody's lives. But what we can do is keep our baptismal covenants and listen to people and sit with them. But I also think we could be praying for the gift of discernment. I think we can be praying as Christ was able to perceive, we can go to our heavenly father and say, heavenly father, I am going to go visit with my daughter or I'm going to go visit with one of my young women or whatever it is, a friend or a husband, please bless me with a gift of discernment that I need to be able to be of greater benefit for this individual. So one of the things, going back to how our personal experiences can help us inform, although to a limited degree, um, our service of other people. I don't know what it's like, for example, to, um, to lose a parent. I don't know what it's like to, to lose a child or have a member of my family leave the church. Um, but I do know what it's like to experience racism or to feel like um, I don't belong in my workplace or in the church. And as a consequence of that, I feel compelled to reach out to people I know are experiencing the same kind of things. I feel compelled to help them feel like they belong, that they have a place in the body of Christ. And I feel like in this way, some of our afflictions can be blessings from God because they can help us connect to other people. They can open up a door to the hearts of other people. I know know, even as a professor, I was going through uh, the death of my mother a few years ago. And as my students would come in and mention that they were losing someone or someone had just passed away, I was and continue to be because of my experience, like you said, so compassionate and so much more patient because I, I had felt that. I knew the suffering that was involved in that. And I knew that it's very hard just to wake up the next day and put a smile on your face and, and, and go teach. I think our Father in heaven, in a sense, gives us opportunities to increase in compassion. Mm -hmm. And we choose how to handle those experiences. And if we can somehow learn to be humble and somehow learn to grow and ask, what can I learn from this experience? Mm -hmm. Then I think that that's a great way that we can increase in our compassion as well. And that's a miracle. That is. is a miracle to be able to have these difficult experiences and to come out of it more full, more full of light, yeah. more full of, of joy. I mean, it's it's better than turning water to wine, I think, yeah, right. <laughs> it is. to take our experiences and consecrate them for our good. Yeah. It's really something. We have received a question from our home audience, and we would like to listen to one of those questions now. Malolale, my name is Hilda Port, and we're greeting you from the beautiful country of Aotearoa, or commonly known as New Zealand. We have come together to share our experience with Come Follow Me. And Jordan, the beautiful Jordan, who's single, is going to share this with you. <laughs> so we were reading in 35.17, and we were discussing how we really loved it. How in 35.17 and in many scriptures, we see the Savior, he ministers specifically to the children. He almost singles them out and makes sure that they feel included. And he always ministers unto them. So I guess our question is, 
Why was that so important to the Savior to minister unto the children? And maybe what is it that we can learn from it nowadays? First of all, to Jordan, good luck with having a mother that points out that you're single. I didn't get married <laughs> till I was 40, and I had a mother that was also trying to help in that process. So, so good luck with that. But, but also, Jordan, thank you for that question. Talking about why it is so important that Christ and the angels minister to the children. Virginia, did you have any thoughts on that? Oh, who isn't touched by the fact that Christ gathers those children in and one by one blesses them and then calls down the angels to minister to them? They are the least powerful citizens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are um, the humblest, the ones who are very often shoved aside or not listened to. And here is the Savior of the world gathering them in first one by one. And it's such a message to us that this is not about status. It's being surrounded by light and love. And that's what we get to do with the people we minister to, whether they be the powerful or the not powerful. We get to, to move in with them and surround them by light and love that comes, of course, through the Holy Ghost. Excellent. In addition to loving them, he also associates himself with them. He sees himself in them. And we see this in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 37. When saw we thee in hunger, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Which is to say, if we look at who Jesus is associated himself with, he sees himself in the least of these. And in so doing, he invites us to see him in uh, the most vulnerable of our population among us and, and to reach out in love to those people. So we began this conversation talking about what are some of the attributes of Christ and Christ-like persons. We talked about compassion being a motivation for our actions, um, a little bit about the uh, how our sufferings can be consecrated towards the good of others. Uh, another Christ-like attribute we see in this chapter is is joy. Virginia, would you would you start us off in that conversation? There's there's a lot to be learned here, and I know that you've had some. There is a lot insights. to be learned, and there's a lot in joy. At first, when President Nelson said, "Oh, you can always be joyful no matter what's happening," I said, "Wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute." <laughs> and so I've thought about that, and um, this isn't gospel truth, but this is how I've come to think about joy. I've had times in my life, like a lot of you have, that have just socked me in the stomach so hard that I could hardly breathe. And I thought of those times when I thought, I don't think I felt joy. I didn't feel anything. It's like I was hugging the ground and just trying to breathe in and out. But as I look back on those times, I can see what President Nelson means by joy. I think what he means, at least in my book, is that it's different to be knocked in the stomach, not being able to breathe, if you have no hope for the future. But because I've made covenants, and I've done my best to keep covenants, and so God cannot desert me. <laughs> he won't. He can't. It's not in his character to desert me. And I think that's what is meant by joy, is this trust that sooner or later, it's gonna come out all right, even though right at this moment, you can't, you can't see that spot. So I've come, to, I've come to say, you're right, President Nelson. I think we always 
we always, no matter what, can have joy, even though we may not even be able to, we're too numb for a minute. Yeah. Virginia, you mentioned uh, President Nelson's quote on joy. And President Nelson says, when the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. He's talking about how we can really feel joy. Like, can we really feel this joy when there's so much sadness in the world? And he brings this point up. For example, it doesn't seem possible to feel joy when your child suffers with an incurable illness or when you lose your job or when your spouse betrays you. Yet that is precisely the joy the Savior offers. His joy is constant, assuring us that our afflictions shall be but a small moment and be consecrated to our gain. How then can we claim that joy, he asks. We can start by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, in every thought. We give thanks to him in our prayers. We keep our covenants we've made with him in our Heavenly Father. As our Savior becomes more and more real to us and we plead for his joy to be given to us, our joy will increase. And we see that specifically. I, I believe that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe that. In third Nephi, we see right off the bat, we see in verse 18, now we go to Christ. It came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of praying unto the Father, he arose. But so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. I mean, this is a people who literally just lost about everything. But what they didn't lose was Jesus Christ. And what they didn't lose was their testimony. Mm -hmm. And then we see in verse 20, Christ saying to them, blessed are ye because of your faith. And now behold, my joy is full. Yeah, and I think that really gestures towards the idea that uh, if you were to look at the kind of so signs of spiritual maturity in the scriptures, what, what are the hallmarks of a spiritually mature person? Jesus's fullest joy emerges from the successes of others. Um, a lot of times when we think of joy, we think of personal fulfillment, personal gratification. But here, that's not what this is. My joy or Christ's joy is contingent upon your joy. And if we're going to really live the plan of happiness and happiness is our goal, then we need to think of happiness in terms of the collective joy, the collective successes uh, of all of the body of Christ. Speaking of finding joy and serving others, of finding joy in others, in our day and age, there are many who struggle with depression and who struggle with anxiety. I am very close to many who struggle. And I know just having this conversation, they would say, many of them would say, I don't know that I have ever felt joy. So how, how would you talk to someone who is not feeling that joy, but living a righteous um, life? I don't pretend to understand how, how all this works, but it seems to me that in part, spiritual feelings work through our emotions. So when your emotions are chemically out of whack, it's harder to feel what you and I experience as spiritual feelings. What I call joy is absolute trust, conviction, and determination to follow the Savior's plan. And I've seen that with people who are chronically depressed, and it is harder for them to do than it is for me. And I think God honors that. I believe that when they say, even though I know my emotions don't work right, I know my mind doesn't work right, I will trust him that someday, somehow, in this plan, I will, I will be healed. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think for me, what I've realized from reading this is just how much desire plays into compassion and plays into joint place and everything. We have to have a true desire to help others, to have joy in our lives, and just to do anything and to be Christ-like. We have to want to be Christ-like to be Christ-like. That's, that's a lot, but that's effort. President Nelson stated, 
as we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our efforts to hear him need to be ever more intentional. It takes conscious and consistent effort to fill our daily lives with his words, his teachings, and his truths. So thank you with those desires to put forth the effort to come into Christ and to become more like him and also to help other people come into Christ. As you do so, you're going to see a lot of joy in your life, no question. Thank you so much for your insights and your questions and your comments. Thank you so much, Virginia, as well, for your oh, insights. I've certainly learned from all of you today. Thank you for joining us. We're eager to hear your thoughts and insights and comments and questions, whether in person or on social media. So until next week, please join us when we'll come follow up. Thank you so much. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.